Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again everybody and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, suffering some sort of cold and no... I don't think it's COVID. I was just tested for COVID a couple of days ago, and I was negative. But today I've got something going on, so if it doesn't sound like me, do not adjust your headphones. I don't sound like me. Uh, I'm not alone. I'm happy to report that we are joined this week by the legendary founder founder and owner of TPE itself. And he's also my favorite Twitch streamer, Killing Birds in the house, Derek Tenbush. How are you? I'm doing great, Clayton. How are you tonight? Good, good. Except for my, you know, little tickle in the back of my throat. Otherwise, everything's great. Yeah, um, you do sound a little different. It's kind of like having a, a guest host. It's kind of it's kind of yeah. a unique opportunity. Yeah, yeah. He just has he has my personality with somebody else's voice, which is weird. Yeah. Um, I stopped by your stream last night on Twitch TV slash Killing Bird, and it looks like the home game is going strong, huh? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. First one of uh, of the new year, um, and you know we always get a little rowdy on home game night. It's it's so it's just a, such a fun tournament because it's like the one tournament where well a you get to play with all of your viewers and friends and you know stuff like that. Um, but also nobody cares enough to get like angry, so you know you, you constantly try to you know hit a two outer against your friends and you try to put a bad beat on somebody and occasionally you dish out a slow roll. Um, I mean, the guy who won, I was basically anti-sweating the entire time, like insisting that everyone knock him out. <laughs> so it's, it's like that kind of tournament, you know, it's like a, it, it, it's why we call it a home game. It's like playing with your buddies in the basement. Yeah. With the trash talk and the anti-sweat and everything like that. Now you do those on, on Tuesdays on Twitch and it's, what is it? A $3 buy-in? Yeah. $3.30 cent, uh, PKO. Um, with unlimited rebuys for the first hour. So it's like, yeah, there's plenty of opportunities to fire lots of bullets if you want to go crazy. Yeah, I think I have to do that. I have to do that. I did, the last time I played with you guys was like the big, I, think, I guess it was the 10th anniversary. And you had the Oh, yeah, game. that's right. Yep. That was a great time. And yeah, it's just like, you know, and I don't know all the guys as well as you do, but I recognize a lot of the names because many of the players have the same name on Twitter as they do on ACR. Mm-hmm. And so uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to know who you're, who you're, who you're beating, who you're putting yeah. the bad beats on and stuff. It does make <laughs> it a little bit more, uh, exciting. Um, and of course I had originally met, uh, Dylan who joined us for our, uh, the episode we recorded in Vegas a couple of months ago. I had met him, uh, during that, the 10th anniversary live stream on Twitch was, right. And he won it, and so then I interviewed him afterwards. Yeah, he, it was funny because we. I, I told everybody I said I'm making, you know, I'm adding a prize to the first place finish. You know, if you win, you get to be a guest on the TPE podcast. And uh, it was just it was sort of funny that Dylan won because he could have been a guest on the podcast anyway. He's a TPE pro, so. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good way to force him to go on. So we we got a we got a good appearance out of him. Yeah, and then of course he was great. Um, hanging out at the Rio. That was a really, really fun night. Um, yeah, such a fun episode. It, it, it also was like sort of bittersweet because, you know, as the World Series was sort of 
winding down, I you know decided okay, you know it's been it's been a good series. Like you know, I haven't heard a lot of things about outbreaks or anything, and I had my book my flight booked and stuff. So I said, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna play some events. And that night was pretty much the only night in the seven nights I was there. I think in the seven nights I was there, I basically hung out with people two nights. Um, it was that night and then one other night, and because basically the day I landed, everyone started getting sick. Like <laughs> all my friends were like, oh, I'm you know, I'm staying home and staying safe. And then the other half were, oh, I, I tested positive for COVID, so I'm in quarantine. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. Here I am in Vegas in a hotel room alone and sad. <laughs> yeah, oh, I didn't realize that's how it all went down for you there at the end. All I know is the first tournament you played, you you cashed in. And, you know, it seemed like you were off to a pretty good start there. Um, but, yeah, I didn't realize that everybody was, was uh, catching the old Rona. Yeah. It, you know, and I still play. You know, I played two more tournaments after that and had a lot of fun. Other than the very last one, where played pretty late into the night, but ended up getting queens all or aces all in against queens uh, preflop uh, for a lot. I think it was about forty big blinds apiece, and uh, he made quads. So I uh, I sulked my way back to my lonely hotel room and wow. cried about it. So that'll be my only bad beat the story of the night. I promise. Yeah, it is hard to beat quads. Yeah, that's uh, it's funny because that that exact hand has happened to me before, but that's a very long story it, that I won't. I'll save for another podcast, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, so you know, one thing that I was thinking about about that that night in the in the hotel room, hanging out with you and Dylan, and of course Dylan's girlfriend who was trying to stay out of the picture, but I think we end up getting her voice on there a few times. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think. You know, it's going to be our last time at the Rio. And, you know, of course we all hate the Rio. And the Rio is a dinosaur. But at the same time, some of the best days of my life have happened at the Rio. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those don't know what you got till it's gone situations. You know, it's not the nicest casino in the world. But, you know, the restaurants aren't the best restaurants. Um, but it's incredibly well suited for a big you know, t- almost two month long poker series because the parking is ample. Uh, it's very easy to sort of get there and get out when you need, you know, when you need to. And I don't know if that'll be the case on this trip. Now, I haven't stayed on this trip a lot. I've generally, you know, we all the years we've gone out, we've always rented a house and just drove to the Rio. And I've probably stayed on this trip in Vegas like once or twice in my life. So I, you know, I don't know. I might be like, oh, you know, in my my mind, over inflating how bad it's going to be, trying to get in and out and stuff. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. I see, you know, I see like a lot of people kind of complaining about it, and then a lot of people are like, "Oh, thank God we're leaving the Rio." Um, but yeah, I'll miss the Rio, even if it's uh, like a you know battered husband situation. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's probably better for me to separate from there, but uh, but I'll still miss it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how much to what degree we all had Stockholm syndrome from all the years <laughs> at the Rio. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with you about the parking situation and also, uh, you know, this company, Harrah's, Caesars Entertainment, whatever they call themselves now, um, you know, they, they charge for parking unless you have a diamond card. So there might be a lot of uh, logistical, like if you thought they were nickel and diming us to death before, uh, you know, and someone, someone emailed me, a, a listener named Jordan Smith uh, emailed me and said that he heard... Sean Deeb talking on another podcast about how he had gotten burglarized or robbed actually 
like with a handgun, I think. I'm not sure what, oh. what it was. Whether he was robbed or burglarized. Anyway, he was a crime victim at the Rio. And that Sean was allegedly saying on this other podcast that he uh, is looking forward to being safer at Bally's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which uh, I know that's your favorite casino. So. Yeah, I mean, for me, like for those who don't know, uh, about two years ago, my whole room was burglarized at Bally's. And when I brought it to their attention and, you know, even explained to them, you know, I do commentary for Poker Go and I have a podcast with a following and basically trying to tell them, you know, you might want to do something to try to, you know, I don't know, compensate me for the fact that this crime occurred on your property. They could yeah. not have cared less. They were like, yeah, screw you. And, uh, you know, the horse you rode in on. Little yeah. did we know they were about to be purchased by El Dorado Gaming, which may or may not have something to do with how I was treated. But uh, the idea that someone would think he's so safe at Bally's kind of makes me chuckle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, too, I mean, not just in Vegas and not just at any casino, but, you know, anywhere in the world, if, if you're in a place or in a situation where people know you're walking around with a ton of money, you're never truly safe. <laughs> I mean... You got a target on your back when you just, you know, you just left the cage, the cashier, and you know they see you cash out for fifty grand or whatever. You know, shit happens. Yeah, I mean it does attract attention, especially if you look like an easy target. Yeah. You know, got your headphones in, or maybe you're drunk, you're throwing your money around at the bar to celebrate your bracelet or something. Yeah, yeah you'll definitely catch somebody's eye doing all that. So. Yeah, announcing to the world, I got money. <laughs> And I'm drunk. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes. I mean, you know, basically we'll find out soon because, dang, this thing's going to come up on us quick. Um, but, you know, I, I think by the time it's all over, we'll look back and we'll either say, man, this is, you know, this worked out way better than I thought it was going to. Or we'll say, oh, I missed the Rio. Yeah, I mean, I, I would put my money right now on there being certain things that we miss about the Rio. And certain things that we think are a lot better about Bally's and, you know, it's just, it's going to be different. But, you know, for you and me, I mean, I, I think I speak for you. I started playing in the World Series, I believe the second year it was ever at the Rio. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's been, yeah, the entire time. I, I, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember when I played my first tournament. I remember the tournament, but I can't remember what year it was. It must have been four probably 13 years ago 12 years ago maybe um so but yeah it was at the rio yeah so we were uh, so never yeah, at so that's been my home we were never at binions yeah thank so, god yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> you see the old videos with them smoking cigarettes at the table at binions <laughs> yeah. i don't know if you could fit the world series in the entire binions building at this point not you know forget just the poker room no it's it's not that big of a place um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to the, uh, convention area at Bally's, which it, they also share their convention area. It's between Bally's and Paris, which are two connected hotels on the strip. Um, and kind of right in this hallway between the two hotels, you just make a turn and then you're all of a sudden in this big, uh, you know, convention type area. It's nowhere near as big as the Rio. There aren't. Yeah seven or eight different rooms like we had at the Rio. So I think it's going to be uh, 
a lot of logistics going on with the, with the new setup. But, you know, I'm always excited for it and to see how they do it. But, yeah, I was in that convention area before because I actually auditioned for America's Got Talent in that convention center once. <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, my other my other life. So, um, yeah, so last week we had Matt Stout on. You know, we love Matt. He's a dear friend of ours, uh, a, a great ambassador to the game, a friend of the podcast. And, you know, we just talked a lot about why he does what he does. And he basically said he could never imagine working for someone else. And that if he's not going to dedicate all of his time and energy to poker he wants to do something good for people who need help so uh you know it honestly got me thinking about you and how you know you don't work for somebody else you you do your streams on twitch you play poker but your main thing is you have your own business so yeah and there again you take some of your uh your profits your earnings your revenues and help the beagles and you do other charity work as well. So, yeah, I wanted to get you talking a little bit about the the poker world and what do you think it is about poker players that makes so many of us, you know, charitable? Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of it has to do well, uh, maybe all of it has to do no, not all of it. Some of it has to do with uh, like as a poker player, you sort of develop this. I call it a healthy disregard for the value of money, meaning. You've you know you've lost so much at times you've won so much at times that you you almost think of money more as the tool of your trade as opposed to you know the the result of your trade the pay you know your pay essentially um, and you kind of realize like money just kind of comes and goes and you're you know you're a little happier when you win and you're a little sadder when you lose but in general you just you just sit down at the computer or you sit down at the poker table and you play and you you know deal with whatever the results are so money just kind of becomes this like thing that's i think a little bit different than it is to people who like grind away at a desk job that they hate or whatever you know they're like i i suffered for this money <laughs> you know <laughs> like i hate what i do every day but at least i get this money and i'm keeping it um so yeah, I, you know, and I think, you know, I I actually was talking with my viewers the other day about um, somebody said, you know, you were the first Twitch poker streamer that I ever remember doing a charity stream, um, and I said, nah, that can't be right. And then I kind of got to thinking about it, like, actually, that probably is right. Um, but I love to see how many people since then, uh, you know, and this is just speaking within the small world of Twitch poker. Obviously, people have done charity in the poker world long before I ever did. Um, but on the Twitch streets, you know, I, I, I'm super proud of the fact that, I, you know, I was there at the beginning doing that kind of thing. And uh, we just did our seventh annual uh, charity stream uh, in late November. Uh, and we raised about $3,200 for Triangle Beagle Rescue. So, um, yeah, I, I came out of that feeling really good. And, and it's kind of like that stuff that sort of keeps me going because I don't really have the um, – I don't really have a lot of interest in being like a professional poker player or playing super high stakes or anything like that. Um, I really enjoy poker and I, I enjoy the money that comes with it when, when I am winning, but um, which has been a while, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but the fact that I could kind of get to do all these peripheral things because of poker, you know, whether that's the charity work or, uh, you know, just traveling and meeting people because of, 
being in the poker world or tournament poker, you know, being able to own and, and run tournament poker edge. Like that's the stuff that really kind of drives me and, and keeps me going. Um, but it's just, yeah, it, I, I'm continually amazed at the, the generosity of, of poker players. And, you know, you, the things that get the headlines are the bad stories, you know, somebody cheated or somebody, you know, you know rigged the game or, or a, a, a backed player ran off with the backers money like that's the stuff that everybody kind of talks about and it'd be nice if we could take some time to talk more about uh the charitable side of things and i did say that the gpi poker awards is having like the best charity best poker charity initiative or something this year as an award maybe it was in the past too i'm not sure um but i think that's cool that's a good way to sort of highlight the efforts that a lot of players are putting in yeah for sure i'm really glad i asked you this question derek because you you kind of opened my eyes a little bit. Um, I, I've, I've never really thought about it this way, but yeah, maybe a person who breaks his or her back to try to make a buck with no pleasure <laughs> other than cashing the check, right? Maybe that right. person doesn't want to give away any money, but I guess for us, maybe we realize uh, we, we view money differently. I think yeah. poker players do necessarily view money differently than other people. Yeah, I definitely think so. Like, I have this tendency, and I, I promise this isn't me trying to toot my horn. I'm just trying to, like, uh, sort of accentuate the point. I have this tendency to tip really big, like, when I go out to dinner or something. And I'll have friends who I might be eating with or something, like, dude, you just tipped, like, 40% or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I just, I didn't feel like waiting for change, so I just threw a 20 in with a bill or whatever and called it good, <laughs> you know? And, like, people are kind of shocked, and, and I'm just like, eh, well, you know, whatever. I, you know, pe- people actually mock me all the time. They're like, yeah, we know, you can't take it with you, KB. And I'm like, that's right, because I, I tell them that all the time. I'm like, hey, you can't take it with you, man, because <laughs> you, you got to spend it before you go. <laughs> I love it, and and certainly it's better to be ribbed in that way than to take the kind of ribbing that, like, an Alan Kessler takes for being notoriously yeah. cheap. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I, like, I live a relatively humble life. I get, like, I'm not into fancy clothes or shoes. Like, I, you know, I'm wearing the same jeans and t-shirts that I've owned for seven years or something. Like, I have, a, I have like, I have, like, a handful of vices, like, bourbon <laughs> and traveling. Like, that's pretty much it. Craft beer. Um, so, you know, if, if, if I can be cheap in some places, be, be, Oh, you forgot to mention, Derek, your thirteen Lamborghinis. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but I keep those in in my uh, in my fourth house out at the beach, so I don't I don't even think about those. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) So yeah, so yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. I think we just think about money differently, and uh, and I think it's a good thing. I think like that's kind of why I call it a healthy disregard for the value of money because I think it's you know you don't stress about it as much. Yeah, I mean. I guess, you know, thinking back on my life, I've never really had a job that I absolutely hated. I mean, I know that some players say they like to give to charity because they feel like playing poker for a living doesn't really contribute to society, right? So then they kind of, Mm -hmm. like Barry Greenstein always used to give all of his tournament winnings to charity because he wanted to do something good. He had made all his money in the tech world or whatever. You know, but like for me, I've never contributed to society. I was an actor 
I was a singer. I was a musician. Uh, <laughs> I was a comedian <laughs> and a poker player. Like, I was never like you know performing open heart surgery or anything. So, right. I guess for me that's not why. But there's just something really great about having a, a fun day, like you know, with your charity stream for the Beagles or with any of Matt's things that he does for sick children. Uh, you know, just having a fun time and knowing that the beneficiary of all that is someone who really needs help. So, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, the idea of, of not wanting to work for someone or being able to kind of control your own destiny or maybe more important, control your time. Cause as everyone says, you know, time is more valuable than money. Uh, you can make more money. You can't make more time. So I, I'm very much on board with Matt in that camp. Like, I, you know, I, I'm fortunate, you know, I, I did have a job with a boss, but, you know, it was in the music industry, which was like my dream. So I loved every second of it. Um, but as soon as I didn't, I was like, all right, I'm out. I'm going to go do something different. And, you know, maybe that happens with poker someday where I just go, you know what? I'm not really enjoying it anymore. I'm going to go find something else to do. Um, but it'll be something I love for sure. And I don't think I could go back to I certainly could go back to an office. I, I tell my wife that all the time. I'm like, I can't even imagine like getting dressed and driving in and sitting at that desk and having people bother me all day. <laughs> no, that sounds horrible. Yeah. But, you know, I, I also know tons of people who are like, you know, because I've worked at home. Obviously, now working at home has become so commonplace, um, particularly in the last two years. But I've worked at home for 15 plus years. Um, and I, many people have said, like, I don't know how you do it, man. I'd go, I'd go insane, like sitting at home by myself all day. You know, nobody to talk to, like, no, you know, can't go out to lunch with anybody, no water cooler talk. And I'm like, I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Like, I'm, I'm way more productive than I would ever be in an office because I, for better or worse, I work from the second I wake up until almost the second I go to bed. Um, and yeah, there's no interruptions, no distractions. You can, and you can, you can block out your phone a lot easier than you can block out somebody knocking on your door. So, and you get to be close to your dogs. Yeah, that's the best part. I got the best coworkers in the world, and all they do is just lay there. Every once in a while, they they want to pee, but that happens in the real world too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like we are starting off this new year, counting our blessings, and just realizing that you know, life life is actually not so bad. Yeah, we're super lucky. You know, that's the way I kind of try to think about it. I mean, we, I mean, we're sitting we're sitting here on our probably relatively expensive computers just kind of shooting this shit about poker and uh getting paid for it like what more could you ask for yeah it's pretty cool when you when you put it that way well what about a hand did you uh happen to dig up a hand that you could run by me yeah i do have a hand uh from last night session actually i haven't played it in a while because you know christmas new year's i had some family in town and um i think this was only my second session since like mid-December or something. I don't know. I'm not even sure how long it's been. Um, so I didn't have a lot, but I made a point, and I actually reminded my viewers, because I was streaming last night, I said, hey, if there's a hand that pops up that you want me to use for the podcast tomorrow, make sure you tell me, because I need one, <laughs> or Clayton's going to yell at me. Uh, and of awesome. course, it was funny, because then you eventually showed up. So, um, so yeah, so I did pull a hand, and I think it's interesting... It gets interesting at the end, but I, th I actually think there's some points leading up to the end, too, that are worthy of discussion. So, um, so yeah, so let's jump into it. Okay, so is this going to be from that home game tournament? 
This one was actually from another tournament that I was playing earlier. It was a 1650 buy-in. I think a 15k guarantee, but it could have been a 10k. Uh, but I know it was a 1650 buy-in. All uh, right. And we are in the relatively early stages. We're at 200, 400. Uh, we're so we're certainly not anywhere near the money or anything like that. Not that that really plays a, a role in this hand, but um, yeah, we're at 200, 400, and uh, I am in middle position. Uh, with the ace ten of clubs, uh, and we start the hand with forty four point six k, so we're over a hundred big blinds deep, so super deep, and pretty much everyone at the table is in sort of a similar situation. Okay, uh, so, it's so a deep stack table, we're in middle position with ace ten suited. Has the table been uh, very um, aggressive, or like what has been the dynamic? So I would say in general. I kind of do recall this, but I can also tell by looking at my HUD. Um, the table's been pretty, like, you know, what's the right word? Chill. Like, pretty lax. Nobody's been really crazy, except for the person who raises first in this hand. Um, everyone else has been, like, half the table is under 20 VPIP. So it's been pretty lax. Yeah, I love tables like that. Those are That's my bread and butter. When everybody's waiting for the nuts, and I can just kind of chip up with very little resistance. Yeah. It's funny, because th there's been a lot of times... This kind of started uh, with me, actually, when from when we played together um, at the same table at the World Series. Yeah. Um, I started <laughs> just doing this thing in my head, what would Clayton do? <laughs> because there's a lot of times where I'm debating between, like, calling or folding... For example, and then then I'll go. What would Clayton do? And I'm like, he would three bet, <laughs> so, and then I three bet. So that that's my uh, that's my new tactic for getting my three bet percentage up because it's traditionally very low because I'm a nit. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm doing the what would Clayton do thing. Sadly, it hasn't really worked out for me so far. But uh, well, Derek, but I have to say, fun. as as flattered as I am, you might be better off asking yourself what would Fedor do. <laughs> or what would Dominic do? You know, maybe aim a little higher. <laughs> uh, baby steps, you know. Okay, I start out, okay. I start on the low levels. And Fair enough. High. All right. Well, I assume we're going to open this Ace Ten suited from middle position. Uh, so we would have, um, but instead the guy immediately to our right, so he's under the gun plus two, uh, and this is the guy who I just mentioned who's kind of actually been the really active one he's running 67 33 um so he decides to open uh and this could have been a what would clayton do situation where we kind of decide oh this is like the perfect guy to three bet with the what i think is a, probably a pretty good hand against his range ace 10 of clubs um but he raised so big he makes it 18 16 which is over four x it's like four and a half x um, so to three bet here, we're going to be putting in a relatively substantial number of our chips. Uh, and this is kind of what I was saying earlier, where I think there's some interesting decision points here because there's a lot of options here. I mean, we can still three bet because maybe we're glad he put in four and a half bigs because we just get to play a bigger pot in position against what we could argue is maybe the table fish. Um, or we could flat, but I'm not even sure that we should be calling four and a half X raises from early position with ace 10, <laughs> you know? Uh, so maybe folding is an option. So I'm not sure what you think here. Yeah. It's, a, it's an unusual spot. I mean, you don't usually see people opening for this sizing. Um, if you hadn't explained that this guy is not a very good poker player, 
then I would lean towards folding, you know, just because mm-hmm. you're going to be like kind of in the middle. There's all these players yet to act on your left. You could end up getting sandwiched in between. Like, so if you flat and then somebody three bets small on your left and then the original razor just calls, then you're kind of priced in and you have to call and you just have ace 10 and, you know, yeah. a lot of bad things can happen. But since he is, uh, you know, the guy that we've kind of marked down as the table fish, that leads me towards wanting to play the pot with him and maybe try to isolate here with a three bet. You don't have to three bet very big. Um, yeah. You could even like kind of click it back. Like he made it 1800. Yeah, you could make it like 35. Yeah, I think I like that. And I like that you said we don't have to make it super big because if we three bet here, you know, we're essentially just trying to get heads up with this guy in position. If he four bets us, I think we could just, even though his numbers are wild, um, based on his raise sizing, he's probably going to four bet us really big and we can just kind of fold and move along. We haven't really invested that many chips, like, you know, 3,000 of our 40, or, you know, 3,500 of our 46,000 chips or whatever. So I think I like a three bet. I opted to call, which I don't hate, um, but I think I prefer a three bet in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, calling isn't bad, but the only danger is because you're just in middle position. I like calling better, like on the button, because there wouldn't be as many players yet to act behind you. You're calling in this spot, now you've got the... So what are you? You're in the hijack, right? Yes. Yeah, so... Then you got the cutoff and the button and the small blind and the big blind. A lot can go wrong there. Um, But as long as none of them three bet, you you get away with it. So, And with this sizing, I think you will get away with it a good amount of the time. So, yeah, I don't hate flatting. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. And I I don't think it's, like, dramatically worse than three betting. I just think it's probably slightly worse. But, um, you know. We're known, we're known for taking the worst lines, so it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, I what I really don't want to see you do is put in like 7,000 or something. Yeah, this would be a catastrophe. Also something I would probably do. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right. But yeah, so we do flap the 18-16, and it folds around to the big blind who also calls. Um, he's a he's one of these sort of tighter players at the table that I mentioned earlier. He's running sixteen ten, so he's pretty passive. Um, I think he can have a lot of different hands here because we're so deep. He's even with the big raise sizing, he's getting a pretty good price to call three ways. Um, so he could just have any like, I guess, playable hand, you know, like suited connectors, small pairs. Broadway cards, suited aces, all that kind of stuff, I would think. Well, I was thinking he might be a little tighter than that, but maybe splitting hairs. Yeah. you. I mean, you definitely could be right. You, you're thinking more like pairs, suited aces, suited Broadways? Yeah, it's just such a big, big bet, you know? Yeah. The guy's only in for a 400. He's got to put in another 1,400 to call. Yeah. Yeah, so he's getting... It's like 3.2 to 1, I think, is what it is. Yeah, which isn't that great when you have two opponents. Yeah, it's not as good as it looked originally. It's got such a big raise. Yeah. Uh, But you know what, Derek? A lot of guys have never seen a big overbet open like this before. 
I think a lot of players don't adjust well to these non-standard raise sizings. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you and I first started getting really serious about tournament hold'em, it was always 3x, right? Everybody did 3x. Then it was everybody did 2x. And now things have been kind of coming back to like two and a half. But you yeah. really seldom see this 4.5x open. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely caught a little off guard, and I didn't exactly, which is probably why I leaned towards calling, because it just like it was like the safest route, yeah. <laughs> or you know, the easy, easiest thing is just click a call button. That's easy. I don't have to think about sizing or anything. Um, so yeah, so that guy does call. So now there's six thousand chips in the middle, and the flop comes down deuce five three of clubs. So we flop essentially the nuts, unless somebody has. Four six of clubs. Wow, so that is a well above average flop right there. <laughs> yeah, and you you love to get that flop against a guy like you know the, the the loose villain in this hand. Like you're just like oh, and you're in position, so you can just let him fire away. It's beautiful. Um. So yeah, so six thousand in the middle. Uh, the big blind checks, uh, and then our villain checks, and okay. it's on me. So what in the heck is going on here? The guy opens 4.5x, gets a monochrome flop, and doesn't bet it. Yeah. I mean, that right there is very strange. I feel like these guys would mostly be taking a small stab at this at this board, you know? like Yeah. This is, the, this is like a place where I always see that because... You're ba- you're basically you're not even really betting that your hand's good or that your opponents don't have anything. You're really just betting that they don't have a club. <laughs> you know, I mean, if they have like eight, you know, two, you know, ace of hearts, ace of diamonds, they're probably not folding to one bet. But you're gonna be able to barrel them off a lot. Um, and when the fourth club comes, now I'm, I'm obviously I have the nuts, but I'm saying no matter what we have, right, right. Uh, when the, when the fourth club comes, you're still in position, so you have a lot of op- options, right? You can check back sometimes. You you can. And then and then bet river or you can just continuation again on the turn and take it down. Um, so I, if in if I'm in his shoes, I'm c betting here a huge percentage of the time. Um, especially considering my full to c bet is in this tournament at this point was a hundred percent, which is pretty high <laughs> to say the least. Um, and the other guys is seventy, so we're both like tight folder. You know, we're just guys who fold when we miss. If, if he's using a HUD, that's what it looks like anyway. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of interesting when he checks. So let's try to range him before we decide what what KB should do here on the flop. Let's try to range this original Razor. What kind of hand makes it 1,800 at 200, 400, gets two colors, flops five high, all one suit, and doesn't see bet? Like what, what does he have? The only kind of, I mean, the thing that came to mind, which I was kind of excited about in my head, is he could have something like King Queen of Clubs or King Jack of Clubs or something like that. Jack ten. No, we have we have the ten. Um, where the reason he's not sea betting is because he smashed the board and doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to feign too much strength. Um, I don't know how many people do that, especially when they don't have the nuts. Like, so for example, if he has my hand. I could see him checking because you know nobody else has, has like ace of clubs, king of diamonds or whatever, where they can chase. So you're just kind of giving everyone a chance to either make a better hand or just to not believe you. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know how often he would do that with something like King Queen of Clubs, but it certainly passed my mind in, in the in the please have King Queen of Clubs kind of way. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is a hand that might slow play, I guess. Because in my mind, everything else I'm c-betting here that I would put him on. You know, so if he's doing if he opened with Ace King or Ace Queen suited unsuited it almost doesn't matter to me um over pairs to this board you know any anything basically sixes or above you know so everything um or even if i had a set you know if he had fives i'm still betting here because decent chance one of us has a club and we'll come along um so yeah the only thing i could think where i where i think it makes sense to check is that he flopped a flush um well you know even ace four if i'm him i'm betting so, yeah, I was very confused by the check, and I didn't really know what I thought he had, but I knew what I hoped he had. <laughs> well, then we should just be optimistic and hopeful and put in a good-sized bet here on the flop, hoping that uh, he does have that slow-played flush that we can actually beat. Um, especially, like you said, you might end up, well... You know, I was just gonna say, like, if another club comes off, it could, it could kill your action. But I don't know. I'm just, I don't know what the range is for betting 1800 pre-flop. It's 4.5 right. big blinds. It's a very unusual open, so it's hard for me to range him. And then it's very peculiar that he liked his hand enough to, to bet that much with it before the flop. And then this is such a a safe board, really. I mean, the yeah. odds that someone flopped a flush are pretty slim. Obviously, you have one, but he doesn't know that. So it's odd that he doesn't bet here. So, yeah, I guess given your logic, you're hopeful and optimistic that he might have a flush. So let's bet and try to get him to check raise or at least call. So, yeah, I would yeah. put in like, I mean, a little more than half the pot, like maybe 3,800, something like that. I, yeah, I love that sizing, and I think that's what I'll, I think I like a bet here as well, uh, especially because, kind of like we said earlier, I don't think anybody's going to fold to one bet if they have over pairs or, you know, if they have, like, king-queen with just the king of clubs. Like, nobody's going to fold those kind of hands. So, in, especially against two opponents, there's a decent chance somebody has something. I mean, if with this guy being kind of as loose as he is, he might even call with, like, tens and well nines and the nine of clubs or something like I, I just don't see people folding to one bet here um i think i was so excited about this flop that i was like i can't lose these guys i can't lose these guys so i once again made the worst decision and checked <laughs> <laughs> um and I, I think again this is like you know this is an interesting multi-street hand for this exact reason like these problems start to compound themselves, sort of, because we get the four of clubs on the turn. And this is kind of what you were just talking about. Now, if this guy has two red aces, we're probably never getting paid. Um, and if he has, like, say, the king of clubs, we're probably not making all the money. You know, we're not going to we're not going to get him to stack off or anything. Like if he had kings with the king of clubs, we might have been able to get it all in. But now I don't think he's ever going broke. Right, and you're sitting here with a straight flush, and there's still only six thousand in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it makes it 
it, it makes it harder to get paid at all, and it definitely makes it harder to get all the money because we just haven't built a pot. You know, if we had bet 3K and gotten even one caller, all of a sudden there's, you know, 12K in this pot instead of six, and it's much easier to try to, to, try to build a pot. Um, so, yeah, I regret uh, the check. I like my hand. It's pretty cool, but uh, it's becoming harder and harder to get paid. So Yeah, agreed. So what happens here on the turn? They check to us again? Uh, yeah, so like I said, there's 6K in the pot. It checks to us again. Um, and now, of course, I go, okay, i got to start building some kind of pod here. Uh, and I'll be interested to see what you think about bet sizing here. I bet 18, 18 19, so I'll call it 1,800, which is like less than third. Um, and I think, for example, I, like I don't want to lose everybody. Um, but I'm not sure if you like bet sizing or not. I Part of me thinks, well, if somebody does have... I hate to keep using the same hand, but if somebody has the king of clubs, they're probably maybe going to peel one here just because they've played so passive that it could look like I'm just trying to steal it. So I kind of wish I had gone just a little bit bigger because basically anything that doesn't involve maybe the king or queen of clubs is probably folding to any size bet. Right, or the six of clubs would be terrible. Yeah, yeah, so like I kind of feel like I sort of feel like we can just size up a little bit more because it's a very sort of polar decision. They're either calling or folding. Like, well, I, don't really I think disagree. I think I think this sizing you chose, you might get a curious call from the Queen of Clubs. But if you bet much bigger, that hand will definitely fold. Okay. And you can actually you'll see some people throw away the King of Clubs. Because now they have to worry about the ace and the six right. beating them. Do you think there's ever do you think anybody ever calls with just say a six? Like two you know, six, two red sixes? Or does anybody ever call with just an ace? Like that's not the ace of clubs, obviously. No. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't th- I don't even think I mean, maybe if we bet, like, the min. Like, if we make it, like, 600 or whatever, maybe somebody calls, but I feel like that's about it. Yeah, I don't I don't mind this sizing. Yeah, so maybe it's not as bad as I... And, and again, it, it's sort of, like, splitting hairs. I, I didn't think it was, like, a terrible sizing. I just kind of felt like it could probably go, like, 25 or 28 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, um, I'd much rather have bet the flop, but if you don't, then you, you're trying to make a bet that's going to make the other players say... All right, well, fine, Derek. We checked to you twice. That doesn't mean we don't have anything. Right. And they can't really say that if you bet too much. So I, I kind of like this. All right. Yeah, and this is – it's also interesting because you kind of go down the decision tree. And, and if we had bet the flop when the board was way less scary than this, we we may have gotten calls or at least a call – and then we could probably check this back and make it look like we hate this flop or this turn and then pray that loose crazy guy you know, tries to steal it on the river because we're in position. Um, but now we're just kind of in this position where you know, our bet doesn't necessarily look super strong because we've just been checked to a bunch of times, so we're just, we could just be stealing. But I don't think we're going to get much more out of this typically. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, so we bet 18.19 into 6,000. And the big blind calls, and our uh, 
super loose guy calls, <laughs> which I find very interesting. <laughs> okay. So what the heck does everybody have? I know. Now you start to, you're starting to arrange people like, I don't know what anybody – like, does everyone have clubs? What's going on here? <laughs> um, we get a jack of hearts on the river, so a pretty – unconsequential card i suppose um there's 11.5k in the middle uh and it goes check check again to me i mean we have to try to get value for our straight flush so i don't know what the heck these guys are calling with on the turn but it's a lot easier to call a bigger bet on the river so Mm -hmm. yeah i think i would do like i don't know like 75, something like that. Nice. I finally got a bet size right. <laughs> no, not the, the last one was pretty good, too. Uh, we bet 7,000. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I like that sizing. I think that's enough. It's about the right amount to get a curious call from a king or a queen of clubs or maybe even a jack of clubs if we're lucky. Uh, I don't think it really anything else calls, but um, might as well take a shot at it. Uh, Big Blind makes it 16.9K. <laughs> Crazy Guy folds, and it's back to us, and we are getting 3.5 to 1, 3.6 to 1 on a call with a straight flush, but not the best straight flush. <laughs> I mean, oh, wow, this is a, a real spot. Um, the first thing I wanted to say was, as we fire this 7,000 on the river, one problem we have, theoretically, is we don't have any bluffs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're never bluffing. Yeah. yeah. This 7,000 is always, always at, at least a straight flush, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Because I don't even think he raises, there's no hand he raises. He, does, never, he doesn't even raise with the king of clubs, ever. Or obviously any other club. Um, the only thing we kind of have going with us or going for us is that we we did kind of try to make it, you know, we by checking back and then just sort of stabbing at it on the turn. Like maybe he's just like this guy's full of shit. But I don't think I look like I'm full of shit in, in the way I've played up to this hand or in this hand. <laughs> I think I look like I have a straight flush. Yeah, and he's saying he can beat it. Yeah, like I think the only hand he could do this with that's not the six of clubs is the ace of clubs, but we have that, obviously. So, <laughs> yeah, so I talked through this hand a bunch as I was time banking down. Um, like, we're getting a pretty good price, and it's really hard to fold straight flushes, but I don't think, I, I think this is a six of clubs 100% of the time. Well, it can't be 100% of the time. Yeah, maybe not 100. Yeah, I mean, he has a few bluffs. You just don't have any. I think after they call you on the turn, they both call you on the turn. Every time you bet 7,000 on the river, you always have a straight flush, I think. Yeah, I I think so, too. And keep in mind, too, that he's raising, with the other guys still to act. (laughs) It's so so strong. (laughs) Yeah, so it's not even like we're heads up and he's like, I don't believe this guy. I'm just going to try to take it away from get him to fold some random club or whatever. I mean, this is a really odd spot. In a $16 tournament, I don't know. 
It's so hard for him to check that six of clubs on the that river, too. He had to check too. and hope you bet again. Yeah, because if I'm him, I'm going, well, both these guys called that bet on the turn. One of them might have an ace of clubs. So, why, like, if I'm sitting here with the six of clubs and issues, I'm just piling it all in here and hoping that I, that the guy can't fold an ace of clubs. Yeah, I mean, this is brutal, but or I, at least I pay going it bigger. off. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it sucks. I So this is a question that I can kind of ask you because you have a lot of experience. Would you call, would you play this hand or play the river? Would you call this bet the same way in, say, a 10K? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe even more so in a 10K because the players at that level are going to be much more capable of having not the six of clubs. Right. You, know, you were saying you think he's got it. 100% of the time, I think it can't be 100%, but, you know, up against some of the best players in the world in a $10,000 buy-in, it's way below 100% that they're able to represent it. But it's so strong, and especially, as you pointed out, the other player yet to act. But he's made it pretty clear he does not have the ace of clubs himself, right? Right, yeah. I think we can deduce, deduce that from the way he played it. So yeah, I um, I debated for a long time, and then I, partially just because curiosity got the best of me, uh, I did make the call, and uh, he turned over the six of hearts, six of clubs. For yeah, the that was the other thing I was thinking is, you know, if he does have a six, what six does he ever have? It's got to be those pocket sixes, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like his, it kind of all makes sense when you think, you know, now you're like, oh, well, he wasn't getting an amazing price, but he was getting a decent one considering he had a pair. Um, like, I think he would be less likely to have six, seven of clubs here, for example. I think he might have just folded that preflop, but I mean, six is, makes perfect sense. It um, does, and I guess he played his hand great. Yeah, I mean, I guess with the, the only exception being. Again, I think he can probably raise... I mean, he basically almost min-raised the river. I mean, don't you think he could just go bigger? Because it's kind of the same thing. Like, I don't... I don't think I'm ever folding the Ace of Clubs. Although, I mean, I, I guess if I'm telling myself... <laughs> exaggerating it a bit, but saying that he has the Six Clubs 100% of the time, maybe this was the right size. Because if he, <laughs> if he jams, maybe I just go, well... You know, yeah. He never doesn't have the six of clubs, and now it's for all my chips, so I'm just gonna fold. <laughs> it's easier to fold in that spot than what with the price he gave you, three and a half to one. And that just means you've got to be, you know, like twenty two percent of the time. Your hand yeah. has to be good. I mean, I don't know if it is. Maybe you're right. It is close to a hundred percent. So we do have to fold the second knots here, but I don't know. I'd be pretty tempted by those pot odds myself. Yeah. And you know, I don't. I don't think this is a very good reason to call, but it is a 1650 tournament. <laughs> so, well, yeah. you know, you never know what, what what people could be trying to pull on you, and uh, and you're not. And, you know, I didn't lose all my chips. I still had like 50 big blinds or something left. So I felt I felt okay with the call. But I, I, when 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 I ran this hand, and then people were like, "Oh, that you know, tag that one for the podcast. Tag that one for the podcast." Um, uh, going, you know, in my mind, I was like, 
Clayton's going to tell me I should have folded on this river. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that is the right answer, but that's definitely not what I said. <laughs> well, I love that you had like kind of uh, viewers like you helping you choose which hands to talk about on the podcast. I love yeah. it. Yeah, so I know some of them will be listening, so uh, I'll I'll be anxious for them. I, I, you know, I will say that from the from the viewer standpoint, it was a it was a very big mix. It was like people like ah, just a cooler, you got a call, and then there were other people like he has to have the six of clubs, like a huge percentage of the time. So it was very mixed. So I don't know if anyone's listening. Well, I know somebody's listening, but uh, you guy in your car driving to work listening, uh, tweet at us. Let us know if you would call or fold here. You know, you never cease to, uh, to, you always bring it. You know, every time I ask you to bring a hand, you always bring a good one. There, have, there has never been one dud. Yeah, I'm glad this one came out because I only, like I, I made a point, like I said, to tag some. And I literally only tagged two hands. And I looked at the other one and it was not very interesting. So I, was, I must have been desperate for hands. Um, so, yeah, so it was it was, uh, it was was this one or nothing. So I guess I, I paid... Uh, Sixteen, well, like eight dollars in equity for uh, for a good podcast hand. So that seems worth it. <laughs> worth every penny. <laughs> <laughs> so tell people what's happening with my favorite training site. So super uh, super cool right now. We have um, a series running that I'm excited about. I actually have not started watching it, but I need to start soon. Um, as everyone knows, our friend Carlos Welsh won a bracelet uh, this well last year now. Um, so him and Andrew Brokus, uh, did a hand history review of that World Series of Poker bracelet win. So, uh, the first three parts of that series are up. It's an eight part series. Uh, so it's gonna be, uh, pretty in depth, I would imagine, and, uh, pretty intense. So, uh, put your seatbelts on and sit down and watch, uh, two of my favorite poker people, uh, go through what is a pretty, uh, cool, moment in carlos welch and tp history <laughs> yeah well everybody knows how i feel about carlos and about andrew so yeah i'm going to be digging into that for sure and uh, we should mention that if anyone out there hasn't yet gotten your membership to tournament poker edge uh, you can get ten dollars off your first month by using the uh, promo code podcast so just type that in when you check out and you'll save ten dollars right off the top Yep, perfect time to do it too. This is a this is a not to miss series. So take advantage of that uh, discount code and and check it out. Anything else, Derek? Before we say goodbye, that's it, man. I just want to wish you a happy new year and wish all of our listeners a very happy new year. I hope that uh, everyone has an incredibly profitable, but more importantly, healthy new year. And uh, hit us up on Twitter or in the forums or wherever you like to to communicate with us. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Outstanding. So for Derek Killingbird Tenbush. And everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart.